Hello and welcome to the second series of the podcast, How Did You End Up Here? I'm Jamie here and I'm talking to people in interesting jobs and finding out what path they took to get there. This week I'm talking to artist and researcher Dr Alison Bell. Alison, can you just firstly give me your current job title? I'm an independent artist researcher. Now, you have recently completed a PhD uh, and it's not. I hope it's not ungentlemanly for you to say because you have written about this. You're 66. Um, now, is is that is that late to complete a PhD? Yes, in every sense of the word. Yeah, probably. And what was the what was the motivation behind uh, doing it? And what was the sort of motivation behind doing it in the first place? Uh, well, obviously, it wasn't a career move. Um, it was curiosity to see if I was clever enough to do it. Um, I also had recently left my long-term home of the Isle of Arden, mm-hmm. where because of its size and because of what I did as an artist in a small community, I had a very strong identity. And when I moved to the mainland, I didn't. I had no identity. I was just one of millions. Nobody cared. So I think it, it was an appealing, instant identity to be able to say, "Oh, I'm a PhD student," mm-hmm. because immediately that was status. And at that time, I needed something to hold on to, mm-hmm. to help me feel grounded in this new environment I was trying to make a, a go of. So it was a combination of the two: a sense, a sense of identity and curiosity to see if I could actually do it. And so it's one of the reasons the sort of, this I did mention your age, having uh, sort of completed your, your PhD, I know you've, you've, uh, you've written a well, very well received blog uh, on the fact that as an artist, you perhaps had your own rules and, and you, cho- you worked the way you wanted, whereas when you get into academia, and that's you know something I've found myself not not at PhD level, but yeah, there is a uh, a, a sort of there's a number of educational hoops that you have to jump through to get th- which get to get to the sort of the the, the PhD uh, or to get the qualification, and which doesn't always fit well for someone who's uh, you know artistic. Um, and I was fascinated by what you were writing was the fact that, well, firstly, you'd had to go through that process and the sort of, the, the things you'd found with that, but having completed it, do you get, how do you get back to, to what, what you, what you had been doing? I wonder what, what's your, how, where are you with that at the moment? Well, you can't get back, but I want to get back. It's, um, it's challenging because I feel as if I now have a hybrid practice. I'm trained to be a researcher, mm-hmm. which has a very specific way of working with very specific conditions, and these are universally understood conditions. Whereas being an artist is a, a bit more uh, ephemeral. Nobody really, nobody in the outside really understands what that's actually like. So it's, and the two have similarities in ways of thinking because you're both searching. The researcher and the artist, they're both searching. 
What I didn't realise until very late on in the PhD was that the PhD in itself and the submission of the thesis is very prescriptive according to the world of academia. And it could be arrogance of age. I felt that I could, to a large extent, comply a bit, but really do it my way. Not necessarily rewrite the book, but as it, as it turned out, I tried to re rewrite the book. And that didn't work. Mm -hmm. So I had to write another one. <laughs> Which I managed to do, but in, in the year where... Because I, I had my viva, and I submitted my, submitted my thesis, and it was too much, twice as much as I should have done. And they felt that the content of the thesis, the quality was all there. There was just too much of it. Mm -hmm. So I had to simplify it. And they gave me very, very good, clear guidelines as to how to do that. And I'm eternally grateful to them for doing that, the examiners. But in the process of trying really hard to comply with what I then understood was required of me. I sensed that I was belittling and undermining uh, the parts of the thesis which I felt were really important. That wasn't actually the case, but that's in actual fact, but that's what it felt like. And now that I'm finished and I'm pleased with what I submitted and the examiners are pleased and it's been rubber stamped, I'm still left with a sense of, oh, mm. okay, um, I wonder what I do now. Yeah. Uh, and that's a very complex issue because it's to do with age. I think it's also to do with gender. It's to do with not being part of a university anymore. Mm being an independent which has its advantages because I'm beholden to nobody but it's also unsettling after having had seven years of total immersive focus mm -hmm. on something very very specific yeah, yeah. that just literally takes over your life yeah and now that's gone literally overnight and it's challenging yeah and possibly I'm lucky in that I'm not straight into a an early career researcher's post in the university mm -hmm. as somebody in their 30s where it's pretty well mapped out what you have to do. I have to do my own mapping here and I'm, I'm really trying to get it right mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm struggling. So I put a call out basically uh, right across the web to see if I would get, if there were anybody else in my position. Mm -hmm. I, put, I started a conversation on the artist newsletter Mm -hmm. Just saying, just completed a PhD, um, I feel lost, I don't know who I am. I'm 66, is there anybody else out there who has this similar feeling? And I had a lot of really insightful, very kind responses from undergraduates, masters, former students, and also two or three PhDs, one of whom was my age, a woman who graduated quite a while ago, received her PhD a few years ago, and is still struggling. Mm -hmm. And I found that very, very reassuring. There are, there are no answers to this. You have to find your own path. There isn't a right answer to it. I'm trying to find one, and that's 
counterintuitive, but mm. I'm still trying to find one because I've been trained as a researcher. Yeah. Therefore, there should be some kind of answer here, and there isn't. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I put on my artist hat, I would just exist in a permanent state of not knowing and feel quite happy with that. Right. And that's the state, that's the frame of mind I'm trying to get back to. Mm-hmm. And it's not nearly as easy as I thought. If we can just go back to the to the very beginning. Oh, Six, that's going back a bit. 60, 66 years ago. Uh, you are born in Falkirk, but largely raised in Irvine, yes, in Ayrshire. Yes, yes. My brother and I were brought up um, in a wee house in Irvine, in Bank Street, opposite the primary school. We left when my father's job changed in the gas industry. I think it was nationalised and his job just disappeared. Mm-hmm because he was manager of the local gas works and then he just went to work in an office okay. in Lanarkshire. Okay. So we upped sticks and went to live in a brand new box in East Cobride. Okay. And was that... Um, for, for people that, well, no one else can see your, your expression was... was uh, yes. I don't know if it was bemused, if that was the word. Well, it, it, was, it was quite a contrast because it was... It was a, a new town with no real infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It was in the outskirts, a new development in the new town. Everything was new. Nobody knew anybody. Uh, it, it probably affected my parents much more than it affected me. I was sent to a good school down in Hamilton, uh, which was fine, but um, mm. it was quite a shock going from the coast yeah. inland. Okay. Because I couldn't cycle down to the beach anymore. No, no. And when people, uh, whether it be teachers or parents, said to Alison, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer? Uh, well, when I was very wee, I, I, I loved, I just imagined I would be an artist. I know mm. that's the cliched answer, but I did. Uh-huh. So all the way through school, certainly through secondary school, it was either art or doing English literature. Mm-hmm. And when I told my head of department in the art department that I'd been accepted from Glasgow Art School, he was horrified. He said, oh, you don't want to do that. Go and do history or English or something useful. Which I had quite an interesting response. Right. For but that, that, was, ah, that was the way of thinking mm-hmm. in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a good choice. And I went to Glasgow School of Art for a couple of years, did first year, second year. GSA at that point was in a stage of transition. We were the first year to begin a new degree course. Uh-huh. So it used to be you would do first and second year and then you would specialise in third year. We started specialising in second year. So I went into embroidery and weaving. Mm-hmm. And then, just for personal reasons, moved to Duncan of Jordanson, which hadn't caught up at that point, they were on the old system. Mm-hmm. So, it, and I did printed textiles at Duncan of Jordanson and that was fine. Mm-hmm. And where, where was that, was there a sort of, you know, if you go and you study accountancy, there's a career, there's a, there's a clear sort of, you know, path and goal, if you like. What, yes. what was your sort of, did you have an idea of once, you're, once your studying is finished, what you might do then? Well, I didn't want to be a teacher mm-hmm. because, no, I just didn't want to be a teacher at that point, but I was offered a post-diploma. In those days, you didn't get a degree, you got a diploma. Mm-hmm. So I got a diploma. I was offered a, a post-diploma year, which I did. I won lots of money and got Scottish Educational Trust prizes and applied for, a, didn't want to go to teacher training college in Dundee and applied for 
a job with the Scottish Arts Council as artist in residence in Livingston. Uh-huh. And at that time, it was brand new, this idea of putting an artist in a community. Yeah. There was one in existence, and that was Jimmy Howie in Dundee. Mm-hmm. And he was a painter. And I applied for it, and I was given it, much to the horror of all the painters who had applied for it, because I was a textile designer. Mm-hmm. And they, oh, they were horrified at this. So I was given, and it was a fabulous year, in Livingston, again a new town, brand new flat, and I painted the floor green, didn't know a soul, and all I was paid to do was just be an artist in a community. Uh-huh. Now, at that point, I would be about 21, and I hadn't a scooby how to do that yeah so i just i taught myself how to paint uh i taught myself watercolor i went down to london with my folio tried to get some illustration work uh got some but was advised to go back up to scotland and just be an artist and Mm -hmm. i thought well that's good advice i was offered another year as artist in residence in livingston and turned it down Mm-hmm. thought, no, this actually isn't going to go anywhere. Can I, can I ask, when you're an artist in residence, are you interacting with That's, the well, public? And the plan now is, mm-hmm. it's evolved a lot since then, because there is an infrastructure and a support system for that kind of position. Mm-hmm. But then, they just plonked a kid in a new town and thought, well, she'll just know what to do, because yeah. they sure as hell didn't know what to do. Right. And... Is that because, you know, it's a new town? It was brand new. They it was brand to, new. They're, they're yes. sort of thinking, it was very we have to add some culture here because there isn't yes. any because it's new. Exactly. They should never have given somebody my age a position like that. Jimmy Howie, who got the first position in Scotland of artist in residence in Dundee, was much, much older than me. He was an established character mm-hmm. in the town. Uh, and then the next year, they appointed me who nobody knew uh, and I was about half his age uh, it, it was it was a bold move and had I been a different kind of person it might well have worked really well mm. uh, I, I made some friends I got to know the town artist and his assistants but I probably made not the slightest bit of impact because I didn't know how to mm-hmm. um, so I spent a lot of time in Edinburgh I went back to Dundee quite a bit at weekends mm-hmm. but Personally, personal development, it was a wonderful year because I mm-hmm. had this year to do whatever I wanted. Yeah. No constraints, I could do whatever I wanted. And I made really, really good use of that. And it probably has stood me in good stead ever since. Mm-hmm. Because there was self-discipline. It's incredibly solitary, but I, I, I dealt with that. It was a good grounding mm-hmm. for the long career that I actually was to follow unbeknown to me. But I did, the following year, I applied for teaching training college. Uh-huh. And that was a, an interesting year. But at least I had a qualification. Yeah. But that was also the year where the cuts started and very, very few students actually got jobs that year. Okay. I was lucky I got some part-time work. Um, and that's teaching That's teaching schools, art, teaching art in primaries, primaries and secondaries. Right. So I got some work in Perth. I got some work in Dundee. Um, and then... Uh, I just I was getting older, not that old certainly, late twenties, early thirties, and I became pregnant, had a son, and decided to. And I, at that point, I was living in Fife, mm-hmm. and decided to, to up sticks and go and live in the Isle of Arran with okay. my son on my own. Yeah. 
and that was in 1987. Good move. Good move, yeah. Good move. Great place then to bring up a boy. Uh huh. Because they had total freedom. Yeah. Just open the door, let them go out, and they just. Mm-hmm. And what are you, what are you, how are you spending your days out with the looking at, at looking after a growing boy? Uh, well, all the t- all the time I had kept my own practice going. Mm-hmm. Even though I was teaching, I kept my own practice going. In a very small scale, but I was I was I kept working the way anyway. So if you like, I had my own studio practice. Mm-hmm. When I went to Arden, I was a chambermaid. Okay. The son came too, because in a community like that, everybody just because you want to live in that place, everybody does just what they can get yeah. basically. So I became a chambermaid, which was great fun. Mm-hmm. I was then offered a little bit of part-time teaching in the secondary school, the one and only secondary school. Uh, which was wonderful because we actually had some money. Yeah. And then that folded because, again, the cutbacks oh, yeah. and the post just disappeared. And at the same time, I thought I wanted to just focus on my own practice. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about doing that is you can do it round a baby yeah. on a baby's timetable. Yeah. I just work. I just We worked round each other. Yeah. These were mummy's paints and these were my son's paints. Okay. And we didn't mess about with each other's stuff. Right. So he knew that from a very early age. Yeah. And that's how it was, actually, mm-hmm. until relatively recently. Uh-huh. And it worked extremely well. I My studio was in my living room and mm-hmm. then I got a caravan and put it in the garden. Mm-hmm. And that was my studio. And then I... On Arden? On Arden, yes, in Shiskin. And then I approached a local hotel to ask if they had any space that I could maybe use as a studio, Uh which they did. And they were fabulous. They reorganised a whole area for me, Mm -hmm. built an enormous window, which looked straight out onto the Mull of Kintyre. All right, yeah. So I had a customised studio in the hope, I mean, they did it in the hope that I would be an added attraction for visitors to the hotel, which I probably was. And I was there for many years, and underneath my studio was the swimming pool. Okay. So I would put a wee sign with a fish saying, back in 10 minutes, and I'd go down for a swim. It was idyllic. I didn't realise it at the time. I'd give my eye teeth for it now. It was just fabulous. And Ian went to school, and we managed to work away together. And you're still working part-time in... And other jobs as well? Or is no, 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 no. I focused full time on the studio, right. studio practice. And I started a company called Arden Fine Art Silks. Mm-hmm. I looked at what the island, as a tourist island, offered. Yeah. I looked at my skill set and thought, right, how can I develop something which I can do that nobody else is doing? Yeah. And that's what I did with Arden Fine Art Silks. I created hand painted silk cards, jewellery, scarves, ties, waistcoats, mm-hmm. wall hangings. Yeah. Uh, and you're obviously reaching, you know, Aaron is an extremely popular destination. Oh, they come off the boat and you have a captive audience. All around the world. Yes, so you must yes. have been touching people from all parts oh, of the world. yes. Alaska, South Africa, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating talking to them. Yeah. Tourist season was short. Literally started at Easter, finished in October. Yeah. So you had to make all your money then. Mm-hmm. There was no internet, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. I loved the people who came into the studio they were always delightful mm-hmm. interested because it was a bit out of the way and they had to come and find me yeah uh, but they probably found oh it was to find uh, you kind of fascinating as well just i to, became to, to, part of their holiday memory right oh do you remember going to that soap painting studio yeah, wasn't yeah. that nice 
I did some workshops. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it was fine. Never made very much money, but we got by. But enough, yeah, yeah. We just got by, but that's what an island life's like. Yeah. And then um, I began to be a wee bit restless. Mm-hmm. I did this maybe for about 12, 15 years. I began to be a wee bit restless and think, uh, I, need, I need something more. Um, my practice needs to develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was at the beginning of a big shift in thinking and how I worked and where I worked. It was basically brought about by the hotel changing hands and I was going to lose my studio space. So I thought, right, okay, this is an opportunity. I will change my practice. I'll become more of an artist than an open studio Mm -hmm. that caters for tourists and I'll do work for me and see how that goes. And that's kind of what I'm still doing. So you were in Arran until when? So well, this is this is 2018. I left. I left. Oh yeah, that was another story. Yes, as part of my transitioning from one type of practice into another, I managed to secure a venue for an exhibition of new mm. work, which I hadn't made, but I was planning to make. And. Uh, I worked, I had a studio in the back garden, a private, my own private studio in the back garden at that point, just a, just a hut. And trying to develop this new work, which was three-dimensional, quite sculptural, small, mm-hmm. I just got stuck. I couldn't take the work forward any further. It was a response to my shoreline that I used to walk up and down every mm-hmm. day with the dog. And I just couldn't develop the work any further so I thought right maybe if I went away to the mainland for a wee bit mm-hmm. maybe get a wee bit of teaching over there and I'm in a different location that might move my practice forward a little bit because mm-hmm. I'm absolutely stuck I can't I'm just stuck I don't know what to do just now right. so that's actually again I was very very lucky that's what happened I looked to see if there were any part-time teaching jobs supply teaching because I still had kept up my teaching qualification there were there was one in Cumnock and I thought, right, okay, I'll take that for three months, that'll do. But this time my son was pretty grown up and certainly very independent. And uh, I went to, I went to live near Cumnock and just in a rented place and that was in 2007. Okay. Stayed there a year, but it was difficult because on Arden I knew who I was, but on the mainland nobody knew mm-hmm. you know I was I was I was nobody and I found that difficult it sounds very arrogant and egocentric it's not it's we all have we all have a sense of who we are mm-hmm. and it's related to where we are and I'd moved into a different kind of community mm-hmm. much more anonymous because you must have on your on Aaron uh, you know a beautiful place and um, you have people specifically setting out to come and see you oh, yes You've yes. got that contact as well. You must, you know, which must be such an because people are coming in, they're on holiday, they're feeling, you know, they're they're in a good place, mm-hmm. and that must. So it's, you, you're meeting flattering. people and on a good day, you know, it's like that in, yes. in a way that the you know the, you say that you know the police and the ambulance people they meet everybody they meet is having the worst, much the worst day of their lives. So yes. you're meeting someone yes, on holiday, on holiday, in a good frame of mind, relaxed, you can chat to them. 
they're obviously interested it's in your art and stuff. It's, it's very reinforcing, very be, positive. Yeah. And you're making good memories for somebody that yeah. you take away with them, and that's lovely. And coming to the mainland, that I hadn't actually reckoned on that. Mm-hmm. Even though I'd had to close my open studio because yeah. the hotel changed hands. I was still living on the island at that point and everybody still knew who I was mm-hmm. and they could come and see me if they wanted to. Whereas in the mainland, I, I still went back to the island a bit because the house was still there and my son was there. But uh, I, w- I was transitioning. I was, I, was, I was between two identities. Sure. One I was trying to form because I didn't know what all my different options were. So I, I had the exhibition. I did the teaching stint. Um, again, just by word of mouth, I was offered a residency mm-hmm. in Salkuts, okay. which was great. It was for a year in a secondary school as an artist in residence. I had done an artist in residence post in Argyle maybe several years before that mm-hmm. and thoroughly enjoyed it. Just in, you're an artist plunked into a classroom, basically. Yeah. And, what, and so you, like, what's the thing? What? How is? How do you? How's your relationship with the pupils? What? What? What happens? Well, it was, it was, it's. I just do what is I do. Is a teacher going? Teaching going on yes, around you? The teaching goes. The teaching goes on round about you, and you feed into um, the art lessons, and also the, the pupils get to see how an artist works because it's mm-hmm. literally open. Yeah, it works very well. Um, uh, it can be quite difficult, but I'd also remember I I was a trained teacher, so I had maybe certain advantages, and I knew how systems worked. Yeah, um, certainly legally, it was fine at that time. Um, I enjoyed it very much. I I, I enjoy I enjoyed not being part of a school system. Yeah, put it that way. I decided what the project was going to be in. in Lazing with the teacher, uh, we kind of decided a plan for the year with an outcome, and mm-hmm. it was usually a big piece of textile, which yeah. was great. Uh, the, the pupils got to do totally different kind of work to work with a different kind of person mm-hmm. that wasn't going to be examined. You know, it, you know, it was great. It was really good. And then after that, I had another one offered to me for farther south down in Maybole, uh-huh. and I did that for a year. And that, again, same remit, you go in as an artist in residence into a school with a brief which you decide on with the school. Uh, And it's Mm location-specific. You know, it relates to their history or whatever in the area. And there is a a big outcome at the end of it in the form of some kind of artefact that the school keeps. And I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh And when I was there, I was asked... Again, it's just by word of mouth. I was asked if I wanted to work in the education department in the University of West, West of Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that seemed a great idea, because that was a very powerful identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I started doing that a bit, not a huge amount, but a bit gradually, just doing some of that. And gradually I was offered more and my own practice. I was developing my own practice as well. Mm-hmm. So all the time, all these different ways of earning a living, if you like. And you're, you're sort of moving your own practice forward or develop, oh, yes. like expanding it's de- it's, it? it's developing because there's no pressure on me no. uh, I can do what I like like I, w- I wonder how you uh, and this is probably a kind of this is probably a silly you know 
So I used to work in, I've, I've done a number of jobs in my life, sales for example, and there's a very specific way of measuring how your work is growing uh, or, or or not as the case but how, mm-hmm. how do is I it a way it? do you how, is it something you just is it just a level of happiness and satisfaction it's you have how, or it's it? how I mean I'm my worst I'm my best or worst judge mm-hmm. you know when something's going well yeah because I wasn't making work to sell yeah and hadn't done for some years because that's a different yardstick altogether. If yeah. people have hand over their hard-earned cash, then you're doing fine. Mm-hmm. I was in a different, a different kind of world at that point. I was, I was searching for something. Still am, mm-hmm. searching for something, trying different ways of expressing it, mm-hmm. um, and that is all-consuming. Yeah, and incredibly satisfying, incredibly frustrating. But it, I need no further justification. Yeah. it's an end in itself. Yeah, it's a way of being. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a wonderful way to live your life. Yeah. But you never have any money. Mm-hmm. But it's still a wonderful way to live your life. Yeah. Um, and I did some more work at UWS, and that's how the PhD came about. Mm-hmm. I was there. I was offered it. I accepted. And was it something that was in your head already? No. Well, no, no, no. You're obviously in that academic world, but it, it, it didn't. Do you think, oh, maybe I could do one, or no. someone just came I remember, to you? I remember how it happened. It uh-huh. was in the old building, uh-huh. the old campus, and I was opposite a particular member of staff whom I liked a lot, and I said, you know, you'd be a great supervisor if I ever decided to do a PhD. You know, joking. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and said, well, why don't you? Yeah. And again... It just happened. Yeah. I know that makes it sound awfully easy. It, it's it's not easy, but it's that's what brought it out. And then mm-hmm. I, and I was absolutely thrilled to get it. Yeah, this opportunity. And what was your sort of, what did you want to get out of it? Obviously, we spoke at the beginning about a level of identity and your, you know, you know, you, I know you still let me call you Alison, but you're clear, you're Doctor Alison Bell these days. What what was this sort of? Uh, Again and again, this is probably a kind of harsh way of talking about this sort of thing. But was there an end result that you wanted from from it? A sense of satisfaction and achievement. Yeah. All the way through, I said, "No, this is not about a career." Mm-hmm. Which, in a sense, took a bit of pressure off. But there are no walls then, because mm-hmm. pressure has a very defined structure around about it and yeah. it keeps closing in. I removed that and said, yeah. no, I'm just doing this for me. Uh, you probably do, couldn't get a, a more intense pressure than that, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. Because there's no end to it. Yeah. You know, you, that you don't give pressure. yourself a day off. Well, Someone else might. Well, yes. But, yeah, you think you might never, you, no, never you can't. You can't. You can't. You just can't. So I didn't for about seven years, but I didn't regret it. I don't regret any of it at all. It was fabulous. Well, it wasn't fabulous. It was, it was, it was um, a gift. I felt very honoured to have been given the opportunity to explore mm-hmm. this. Uh, and I'm incredibly grateful for the having had the experience. And I feel guilty at not feeling better than I do at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's difficult as well. Because it's, when did you, when, when did you sort of complete your... 
totally, I had the Viva last year and they gave me a year to redraft, basically just edit, cut, yeah. cut the thesis in half. Uh, and I submitted it in the early spring and it was probably finished around about June because, you know, you submit it and you have to wait quite yeah. a while. Probably I knew in, in June. June 2018. That, that was it finished. So this is early September. So this... I know it's only, days, We're only a few months in. So, it's some, it's a similar... I've, I've heard people, you know, Olympic athletes who, you know, for example, they're a swimmer. They go to... They, they've been working since literally they were 12, getting up at 5 a.m. every day, uh, training, going to school or to college or to work or, or whatever they were doing. And they've trained, they've walked up to the Olympics and then as soon as the Olympics is finished, they sort of main focus of their entire life is gone, is gone yes. at like in an instant and yes, uh, yes. It's, it's kind of like what because how do you talk that yeah because, yeah and, and uh, so you're very very early into the post PhD yes stage yes, yes. and so, so I wonder do, do you does your head do you sort of mentally give yourself okay Alison you've done that well done you can have a slight break, or is there the sort of no, uh, I part of you that, that drives you and says, I, I, yes. I, I, okay, what, what am I going to do now? Is that Yes, and question? that's not just down to the PhD, because I, I've had a studio practice, mm-hmm. probably most of, my, most of my life, that is self-directed, mm-hmm. and you just keep going, because if you yeah. don't do it, it just won't get done. Yeah. And I've lived that way probably since my 20s, probably since going right back to art school, because mm-hmm. I am the bottom line. Really. Yeah. If it doesn't get done by me, then it won't get done at all. I can't change and turn into a 9-to-5 person. Yeah. I've never been a 9-to-5 no, no. person. I, I don't imagine what living that way must be like. Um, but uh, that, I'm, I'm still in that mode of thinking. Mm-hmm. Every day has to have something meaningful in it. Yeah. Uh, even if it's something small, mm-hmm. like making a plate of scones for my favourite person. So which you've done, to, you've done very well. We should, I should just quickly, to, just to, we're sitting um, in Alison's studio, we're in Moncton in Ayrshire. Um, beautiful view out to the garden. Lots of art on the wall. Mm-hmm. So it's a, you've got what you have is a, you know, it's a really really nice environment. And does that? You know, when you're when you wake, you obviously had a studio at home. You're waking up and you're already in the space that you yes. enjoy being the most. I, would I imagine. Find, well, actually, I had I, I, I thought once the PhD finished, <clears throat> I wondered, did I want a studio like a wasp studio up in Glasgow or mm. one along in Irvine, in a community? Yeah. And I thought, you know, not really because I might want to do some artwork or just some creative work in my jammies. Yeah. And you can't really do that. And you might have your maybe. Do you have ideas at like ten pm? And you well, think, you oh, so I'm going to you can't, Yes, you can you can do. <clears throat> I don't like constraints. I don't no. like. You know, obviously, we, we have to have constraints, but I don't like unnecessary constraints. No. And I think I would see that as an unnecessary constraint. Mm-hmm. But it is very solitary. Yeah. But it's what I'm used to. Yeah. I've always. I would find it difficult to work in a studio with other people because mm-hmm. I would just talk to them. Yeah. And do you ever? Um, now, you should say, and I'll certainly put a, a link to this, uh, I was going to ask you about collaboration, but we, I've collaborated with you. Yes, and that was wonderful, um, that was great. So, you, the piece, can, we, can you just talk to me briefly about the piece 
that you made for your PhD, yes. uh, which myself <coughs> and another person filmed, and then another uh, UWS academic uh, made some music for as well. So that was a that was a fascinating experience. I wanted to create a piece of textile artwork, an installation which embodied how I felt about my ageing. Mm -hmm. my, my research was about how creative practice can offer insights into our understanding of ageing. Mm -hmm. And uh, once I'd created the textile, I wanted um, just a documentation of what it looked like. Mm -hmm. And I approached you in the university and we hung it up in the TV studio. Yeah. And I imagined it would look a certain way, the way I'd had it and constructed it in my studio at home. Mm -hmm. But in the TV studio, when I looked at the work on the TV monitor, I was absolutely gobsmacked because it changed it completely. Yeah. Absolutely stunned. And so there is, there's something here. Yeah. There's another way of looking at this work. Yeah, yeah. A totally different medium that has offered me insight that I just hadn't seen. And that's what led us to make that video. Yeah. And I wanted some kind of, I mean, I have no experience of filming at all. Mm -hmm. I wanted some kind of background soundtrack to go with it, sound piece to go with it. And I collected a series of what for me were meaningful sounds, like mm -hmm. sounds from the beach. The beach has always been very important to me. Mm -hmm. Water, natural sounds. Yeah. And I had them on a, a digital recorder and thought, well, now what? <laughs> what do I do with them now? I don't know what to do with them now. And I, at that point, I shared a studio, a PhD studio, with uh, a young, a young PhD student who was the same age as my son. He was doing music, and it's it's a close, mm -hmm. intense atmosphere when you're working at that level. And he's it, a lovely, lovely chap. And I let him hear the, I let him see the video. And I let him hear the sounds. And he tentatively said, how would I feel if he took the sounds and mm. made something with them? Yeah. Which was his response to the video. Yeah. I was absolutely thrilled. Yeah. And that was it. That's mm. what happened. Yeah. And I still am absolutely thrilled with it. And it's been shown in Japan. It's been shown in Scotland. It's been shown in England. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely delighted. Mm-hmm. And if you, do you do? That was really my first. Mm -hmm. I had collaborated before with another textile artist who was a researcher, um, but that, that that was different. That was as part of her research program, and I was just one of many case studies that she mm -hmm. had. So I didn't really have any understanding of what real collaboration was like. Mm -hmm. But this was, this was this was different. It was. I, I don't know if collaboration is the right word, really, because, um, mind you, I don't know what the other word would be. be we all responded to the work that I had made. So if that's a collaboration, then it was a collaboration, mm -hmm. because what we ended up with, we couldn't have done individually. Yeah. So it was, we were working together to create this final piece. Yeah. And I'm incredibly proud of it. it I think it's just fantastic. Yes, very, very proud of that. And we've, obviously we've spoken that uh, you're three months post-PhD uh, and you're 
you're sort of working and, and, and wondering what comes next. Something that is definitely coming next is an exhibition in Japan in two years' That's time. Right, yes. Can yes. you can you just tell us a bit about that and can you tell me how you you know how you plan for that and how you work to that? You know, do you think by okay, it's two years away, by three months from now I must have this ready or how, how does that what work? You know, how do you? Well, do you normally, nor in a normal position, if we go back to because the one in Japan, the one in the one that's going to be in Kyoto. When I went out to Kyoto for the second time last year, mm-hmm. I took a small piece of my PhD artwork with me, mm-hmm. and the link to the video went to a, a specific, probably the best textile gallery for me in the whole of Japan, and said, "This is my work. Would you give me an exhibition?" Mm-hmm knowing that their aesthetic might be different to, to the Western one, in this sense. But the outcome was very good. They wanted the exhibition, they wanted this work. I thought, well, maybe I could do a group show, but no, they want just me. They want a solo show with that artwork mm-hmm. and the video. Okay. And that's all they want, and that's fine, so the work's done. Rolling back a few years when I was stuck on the Isle of Arne, I was creating work, and I was stuck. Um, and I had a date for an exhibition in North Uist in a lovely gallery called Taikersava. Uh The work wasn't made, but we discussed what I was going to make. Um, again, it's the same yardstick that you use if it feels right, you do it, and if it mm-hmm. doesn't feel right, you just keep trying till you yeah. get it right. Mm-hmm. And you're working to a deadline. Yeah. But you decide how much or how little. You know, you don't say, right, I'm going to give you 10 pieces of... You don't, it, but fortunately, it doesn't really work that way. You think, right, mm-hmm. that's... It's a body of work, and you think, right, that's fine. You just know... You know when it's finished. You think, yeah, that's... Yes. I need just a little bit more... Or yes, it's like okay. making a pot of soup. You just know when the seasoning's right. You right, think, OK. Just stop there. Mm-hmm. And how did Japan... How did, this, uh, how did you get involved with people in Japan? In, in Japan, time? well... I had a really scary experience through the PhD, um, but it was wonderful. I, maybe unwisely, but I put in a, uh, an abstract for the World Congress of Sociology mm-hmm. that was going to be held in Yokohama. There's an artist doing this, and I thought, oh, well, I'll just do it, you never know. Mm-hmm. And blow me, did they not accept it? Right. It was visual sociology, and then I thought, oh, crikey, I've got to write the paper now. Mm-hmm. But... I went out to Yokohama in 2013 uh, and was absolutely blown away by the country's welcoming courtesy, the aesthetic, the culture, the people, the weather was wonderful. I loved it. I spent a lot of time in Kyoto, Mm -hmm. 1600 temples. I thought, I've got to come back here. So after last year's Viva, and the knowledge that I had to write another thesis, basically. I went out to Japan for a month on my own mm-hmm. and thought, right, I need to recover a bit. Stayed in Kyoto for the month, just walked about in the heat mm-hmm. with an umbrella, mm-hmm. smiled at everybody, and that was when I went into this gallery with a piece of work. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love Japan. The people are so welcoming. And maybe if you go up to somebody and say, I wonder if you could help me, they will help you. Mm-hmm. Anybody under the age of 25 can speak English, mm-hmm. which is even better. Having grey hair helps as well. 
Oh, they're wonderful. They put me on buses and trains and took me to the bus stop and uh, did, did, wonderful. Mm-hmm. So that's how Japan came about. Okay. Love it. Lovely place. And they've had a terrible, terrible year with mm. the weather's been oh the yeah. weather's been dreadful. Yeah. But it is a beautiful, beautiful country. Mm-hmm. And Matt, I suppose to finish off, you've recently moved from from the studio you're in. This is quite a, you've you've been in I say here in Moncton uh, Since May. Since May and yes. how I wonder if how has that helped your sort of fact that you're you finished your PhD, was it an opportune moment to, to make a change? And, and and does it help you look look forward a bit and Well it, it, it made me confront new issues. I couldn't carry on and just doing the same as usual because mm-hmm. I'm in a different space. And that in itself will make different work. Well mm-hmm. I'm doing different work already. Um it's it's good in that it's it's a it's like a fresh start. Mm-hmm which is always good. Uh, I tend to work with familiar materials, like I'll always work with handmade paper. Mm-hmm. Well, not always, but a lot of the time. That's a lovely thing about Kyoto, because when I'm there I bring back beautiful handmade Kyoto paper. Mm-hmm. I work with silk, I work with silk threads. It's very comforting to, mm-hmm. for me. I work within a quite usually quite a tight palette mm-hmm. as well. That's the familiar that travels with me. It's like my wee suitcase of stuff. When mm-hmm. I go anywhere, I have my wee suitcase of stuff that I take with me. Yeah. And it's like my comfort blanket, if you like. You put all the stuff out and you're at home. Yeah. You know, you could be at a bus stop, you put the stuff out, you're at home. Yeah. I'm here, I put the stuff out, I'm at home. Mm-hmm. So that that's the constant, if you like, the materials which come with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it has a deeper significance than I probably touched on in the thesis, but it, I know for me it's important. Mm-hmm. To, to have that sort of familiarity, to come, yes, to, that, yes. that to come with you, um, it's almost like the base for you. Yes. And then... Yes, you start, you bring, out, you bring out the familiar, you lay it out and you think, okay, what's today going to bring, mm-hmm. guys? Yeah. With all your stuff. Yeah. And you work together with, with the materials. Mm-hmm. Because but I suppose... Um, as you touched on earlier in your PhD, often, you know, perhaps if you were 35, uh, you'd have finished your PhD and there would be a, a clear path. Now, in academia, age isn't necessarily a barrier in, in some instances. No, obviously, the, uh, the institution you're with, we, something we both know well, and I'm sure we don't need to get into it. There's obviously been, a, you know, there's a number of changes and all that stuff, which yes, some things... Yes, a lot of restructuring out, goes on. Which, some th- which a lot of things were out with control, but um, do you do you see that that, that sort of door is, is was more shut to you than, than it, might have, it might have been? Or? Uh, well, it's, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't... A st- a case of going in and just carrying on as usual mm-hmm. because with the restructuring that wasn't going to be feasible mm-hmm. so the PhD finished the university life finished and mm-hmm. a different location to live in yeah so it, it, everything is new yeah it, everything is new yeah I don't it, it compounds it but it probably makes it easier in some mm-hmm. senses as well yeah and obviously there's uh, we've you know t- I, I, a slightly different topic is almost the sort of, you know, a lot of females have a, there's a sort of glass ceiling in a number of. I wonder there if can be. Does, can does be. that affect an artist as well? Ah, uh, 
again, I can only speak for personal experience, and mm. I've, I've been very fortunate. I've exhibited all over the world. Um, but that is not the case for a lot. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that the art world and the world of applied arts, which is probably the one I belong to, is there's more equality. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't actually answer with any other... I can't really say specifically. I mean, I'm not evading it, but it hasn't necessarily been my experience mm-hmm. because males and females, it, it, we, we tend to work together. Yeah. Because if you look at a painting, well, the painting has no... no. Uh, you know, it's not male or female, it's a painting. Well, again, there's, there's a whole... <laughs> well, well, I guess there's a whole there's body of research so, about sorry, that I, one, but okay, yeah, I know I'm what you mean, yes. Magnus, yeah, but No, no, I, no, no, I know what you mean. It's it's um, it's a bit more egalitarian, if mm, you like, than some, sure. than some career paths. Mm-hmm. But the good thing about being an artist is you don't retire. Yeah. Which I think is, that's what's keeping me going. Because we just tend to keep going forever, because yeah. that's just what, what else would we do? Yeah, that's it's a bit like um, Bob Bob Dylan. You know, he's yes. obviously made all the money he could ever want, and he keeps touring. Someone says, "Why do you yes. keep touring?" He said, "Well, it's my line of work." Same for me. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is my. This is my. This is what I do. It's mm-hmm. my line of work, and it won't stop. We bit stuck just now, but I will be doing all right. It's just part of the journey it is because it's yes it is and it's it, 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 there's a lot a lot has happened but I'm, I'm navigating it not too badly Dr Alison Bell thank you very much indeed for giving me some time it's been my pleasure Jamie I've thoroughly enjoyed it thank you for asking me that's all for this week thanks very much to Alison Bell for joining me and you can find out more about her work at her website which is alisonbell.co.uk you can also follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jamie Hare. Thanks again for listening and I'll be back soon with the next episode of How Did You End Up Here?